We're returning to 1 Corinthians series, and today's in chapter 6. Um, and part of the privileges and joy, as well as some discipline, is that the Spirit of God presents us God's Word that we may not anticipate or look for as a something relevant. And oftentimes, a man-centered way of seeking spirituality in light of the fact that the theme of our series is entitled True Spirituality in First Corinthians Studies. Man-centered world spirituality, we often open the refrigerator and get whatever we want and close it. Maybe it's ice cream, maybe it's it's a, you know, Diet Coke or whatever the drink favorite. And we don't touch other things. We close it. The benefit of working through, studying through a scripture, a book of scripture, is that we get to enjoy. We get to face whatever that is presented to us. And today is about losses. So one of the most uh, seemingly boring topic, and they're very, oh, it's hot weather. We don't want to think about losses, headaches. But and yet, I think the Spirit of God has something to speak to each one of us, as well as to church uh, in general. So before we delve into the text itself, let's ask this question. Litigation culture then and now, and comparing um, the Corinthian church, we often said it's a Californian church, so similar to what goes on in, in churches in California, and West, Western world in general, but especially in California culture. Then in, in first century Corinth, lawsuits were rampant. The scholars tell us that they have a societal system that starts with private arbitrator, and then when they cannot settle it, then they take it to the public arbitrator, and anyone who's 60 years old or over get to be the arbitrator. And then it doesn't work. There are more people who are coming in, working as a Basically, our terminology will be jury. So there is all kinds of lawsuits that are going on. In the Roman, uh, Greco-Roman world, and the Corinth, a Corinthian church, was affected by this litigation culture. Remember the main issue of the Corinthian church was worldliness instead of church of influencing the, the world, the worldly culture, the mainstream culture, was influencing them. And this part became part of it. What about now? In 21st century California, there is also a rampant culture of litigation. Um, there are some famous stories that we already read about. 
And not to mention the hot coffee spilling over some uh, drive-through person at McDonald's, and, and that person suing the McDonald's for uh, hot coffee. And not too long ago, when a father and teenager has some uh, conflicts, and the father basically said, put his foot down and said, you will follow my rule or else. The teenage girl packed up and moved out, but sued the parents for money, for school, for living, for clothing, for books. And the famous story, I, I think it ended up being she moved back. I don't know the follow-up story. But they made a national headline because of that story. And we also hear about the litigation culture affecting the high cost of hospitals and education. Because of all those things, it adds up. Our, our insurance bill goes up because of that as well. What about churches? Sadly enough, and churches aren't, aren't that better either, 21st century Californian churches, I know in my, I could even count in my hands, very, not a, some kind of a long-distance relationship, but right around here, I know cases like a friend of mine being sued by elders, and they have taken over their website, and everything was seized, and the, on the church's website, there was nothing but attacks on the senior pastor and what was going on. He, by the way, by the grace of God, he finally came through. But in, in the court, and there are mega churches, the bigger the church is, more cases like that, litigation cases. Not to mention individual, individual Christian suing each other. I think if, we, if, if our heart is ideally pure and, and yearning for God's glory and God's will so much, our message could be uh, just five minutes. Bible, through the, through the scripture, Apostle Paul urges us, the biblical mandate is the Christians are not to sue each other. So there are more problems like the Corinthian churches as well. So let's look at a couple more before we get into it. The real life case is in Corinthian church, it seems to be one person doing more wrong. Defrauding and something happened, but it, it was clearly there was a wrongdoer. And the person who was affected by wrongdoing, instead of taking to the church, he or she decided to take him to the court. And Apostle Paul heard about this, very concerned about this, and um, he's addressing it in chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. But I want you to think about this from this point on. If I were Paul, Apostle Paul, trying to give my advice, think with me. 
There's a guy who did wrong. There is a person who was victim, victimized. And instead of taking it to the church, and he took it to the court, and there is a church. And my order of rebuke is the wrongdoer, you did wrong. You repent. Be like Christ to the, to the person who is suing. Forgive him as Christ has forgiven. Or deal in a very different way. And to the church, maybe you guys could do more better discipleship. Wouldn't it be? But do you notice, if you look at the text itself, Apostle Paul's approach is quite unusual. It's flipped all the way through. He starts with church first. He makes it as a church problem. And he goes to the person who's suing. And he goes to the wrong door at the last. And this is the part that our world is transformed. That the way that we are thinking about our world and our paradigm is shift, shifted to... God-centeredness. And let's, let's uh, pay attention to what Paul is saying. It has a lot to do with the church. Our view of church is so low that it really doesn't make much of a difference. But Paul, his view and his conviction through the revelation of Jesus Christ, church was, he, in his view, Church was in his high esteem in spite of all these faults and problems. So today, simply asking questions, what's Paul's answer concerning these lawsuits among believers? A couple of clarification. Number one, as Paul deals with this, Paul's point is not that he is against all legal system at all. If you look, read through the book of Acts, remember that Paul was actually um, presenting his case to the legal system of Rome. And that's how he ended up going to Rome instead of dealing with uh, you know, Jewish problems and Jewish synagogue and Jewish Sanhedrin should take care of it. That was the Jewish religious leader's tactic. And Paul said, I'd like to go to the Caesar. And the tribune said, to Caesars you will go, as you requested. And at the same time, the second clarification is, this doesn't mean all laws are forbidden. We have we run into the problems with non-Christians, people who just uh, do not give heed to God's will and God's law at all. In in the right spirit, Christian spirit, we are allowed to to seek the correct measures of legal justice system. We could take them to the court. The key, key issue in general is when two believers 
are suing each other. Or two Christian organizations are suing each other. Paul's against that. And that is almost like too idealistic in our world, and I'll explain why. But God's principle still lasts and still holds the water even today. So let's go to the Paul's urge and answer to the church in general first. In summary, what Paul's answer is this. Christ followers must not take each other to court because of the three truths about the church. The based on what church is. Verse 1, he starts with this. When one of you has a grievance against one another, another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? He basically see, uh, says, before God's people versus unbelievers. And the question that we could raise is, um, in terms of competence, of discernment, of right and wrong, sometimes secular judges could be more righteous, aren't they? Yeah, it is true. But Paul, what Paul is mentioning is, in light of what God has given us as a community of God, and the rule of God, the reign of God, do we take it to the unbelievers as opposed to, to the believers? We ought to take it to the believers because of these three truths about the church. Verse 2 through 6, I mean 2 through 5, explain, he explains a bit more, elaborates more. Or do you not know that? Pay attention to that phrase. So Paul's big issue is the right concept of what church is. In other words, who we are in Christ, individually and corporately. So because of that, that expression comes about six times in, in this passage. Do you not know? If you really know and believe this truth, you should behave differently. That's the logic. Verse 2 again. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Here's the first reason, first truth about the church. It is about the identity of the church. We will judge the world and angels. So think about this. Angelic beings is the highest beings that God created. Angels are superior in many senses to us as of now. But when the, when the, the judgment day comes by Jesus, all those who objected 
and disobeyed and rejected Christ, enemies of Christ will be judged by Christ. Not just the unbelievers, the whole world, but the fallen angels. We're talking about demonic spirits. In so doing, Christ have us sit with him. We don't know how exactly that will happen. That we will judge the world, the unbelievers, and the fallen angels together. And Paul's logic is this. If you're going to be judging even the fallen angels, the whole world, what in the world are you doing taking your case to be judged by the world that is not regenerated, has not opened his, their spiritual eyes to God's kingdom, the gospel, God's rule? So there is a the voice of rebuke there. Do you not know? Truth number two, it is the testimony of the church. We lose our testimony to the world concerning God's love. Our mission is to spread God's love, what God has done for us by grace and God's reconciliation, the message of reconciliation as well, not only between God and men, but between all the brothers and sisters. We're one in Christ. And we lose our testimony. And it is so true. When you read about those litigation cases among the churches and among within the church elders and pastors, it makes me sick. And become quite often it becomes a reason for the non Christians to say, See what I mean? This is why I do not want to become Christian. The churches are all hypocritical in some sense. We lose our testimony. Do you remember that um, in the Old Testament, King David, uh, before he became a really officially, uh, he was anointed early, but officially recognized all throughout the Israel. King Saul, his jealousy, almost to the, to the point like a Hamlet story. Maybe Shakespeare got that inspiration from, from uh, King Saul. He took every chance to kill David. And at, at the, in the war against the Philistines, along with his son Jonathan, King Saul were killed in the battle. That news came to David. He basically, this is a rejoicing, you know, pragmatically speaking, wow, my enemy who's trying to kill me got killed. Hooray! We would do that. David's response is to not let this news go to other nations. His concern was for the name of God. 
The people of God. And yet, if we don't, if we don't really pay attention to scripture guidance, my rights and my anger, my need for vengeance and revenge and payback and getting even, we could share the laundry before the whole world. And Paul is basically, the mission of the church is share and spread the love of God. How will you do that? Implicit in this. And basically he's saying, by taking someone, other believer into the court, even if you win the case, you're already defeated in, in God's eyes, in enemy's eyes. The evil one, the Satan's eyes. But at that moment, we rationalize, isn't it? And I, I remember the stories like when, when the elders and the senior pastors were fighting against this building, for this building. The elders threatened. The senior pastor went to pray and came back and grabbed hold of the podium. And said, this will be my place for murderdom. I will die for the name of God. That's a blind faith. Work of the Holy Spirit whispers to us. Is the way of Jesus is completely different. That's not the way of the cross. That's not the Calvary road. But before we finger point others, our default mode, and what society is continually feeding us, my rights, and what I can get, my gain, and even, even if we don't intend to do that, there are the ambulance chasers and lawyers and crook people who are trying to get some of those benefits unto him. So we end up becoming a means to their end if we don't pay attention. Truth number three is the wisdom given to the church. This is the, uh, something that we need to really pay attention because the legal system, the bottom line, and always the bottom line is Right and wrong. Who did right? Who did wrong? And this is the judgment. Christians value and the way that Jesus has taught us is someone sues you for the coat. Give him your, your shirts as well. Oh, we could we could rationalize. Oh, that's a hyperbole, and that's that's it. Just kind of exaggerating what Jesus' point on on that is. No, it's the spirit of ourselves. The stiff-necked eye is surrendered to God, and taking the road of road to Calvary, rather than fighting our rights. So, what's the wisdom? 
Holy Spirit gives us to discern what might be pleasing to God. And at times, is choosing voluntary loss is the wisdom of the Spirit. To world's wise, this is nonsensical. Only right and wrong. In that sense, we have a supernatural wisdom and discernment given by the Holy Spirit, which non-believers, unbelievers, cannot have. And because of that, and Paul is basically saying, if your church is so mature and you go for the wisdom, you ought to be wise enough. You, have enough, you should have enough people to intervene, to mediate, to remedy the situation. The good news is that there are some organizations who have responded to this biblical mandate. And their work is beautiful. One that I know is um, the famous book written by him. It was a, The Peacemaker. Uh, simply, it's The Peacemaker. And his specialty and his ministry. Um, I just went blank on his, his name. But between the churches and organizations, he mediates instead of taking to the court. In every case, comes with full victory. Some of our uh, country resolution, and if you look at the chart, uh, the slippery slope, it came from that book. And I will highly recommend that. So because of identity and because of testimony of the church and because of wisdom and maturity given to church by the Holy Spirit, we're not to pursue lawsuits among brothers and sisters. Number two, now he now takes it to, to the wronged, to the victim, to suing brother. And summary for that would be, it's better for us to suffer wrong and unfair loss than taking another believer to court. Verse 6, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have losses at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Whenever we read that kind of out-of-this-world urge, oftentimes we think about an utilitarian goal. So if I volunteer to suffer, God will supply ten times more. So I, I take this uh, $10,000 loss against dispute with another brother, another believer. Then within that year, God will supply $100,000. Wow, this is how to do it. No, this is man-centered way of thinking. We need to see what Christ has taken as an example on the road to Calvary and see that as God-pleasing, um, as in the kingdom of God and in the values of God, God honors those gentle 
Holy Spirit. And notice that I said those gentle, meek spirit, not behavior. There are some well-meaning Christians who haven't dealt with the heart and go through this process of just pulling teeth obedience. And as they're going through, if they haven't dealt with the heart, there will be regret, deep hurts, and animosity toward God. But and yet, um, our church is still young. And our life season is still young in some sense. And our church is still small, so we don't uh, encounter that kind of severe cases. But what I've heard um, from, from, from the author of the book and other cases, those of the Christians who obeyed to this biblical mandate through the hard road of obedience, they come out spiritually so joyful, have, having no regret. And oftentimes, uh, better results. Not always. But there is a 10% that he dealt with who would just refuse to go through biblical guidance. And it always comes out. Their spiritual life gets messed up. Their emotional life gets even deeply in trouble. And oftentimes come to the worst outcome, even pragmatically speaking. There are two reasons for this unusual device. Number one, Christians are to overcome evil with good rather than paying back evil with evil. And first Peter 2, 23, and Romans 12, verse 19 through 21, reiterates that point. So which means that even if we take a non-Christian to the court, we are to take this posture. We are to examine our heart, whether, whether there is an evil thoughts of paying back more what I got from this guy, from this girl, or from this company. Then even if we win, we lose to evil. The Satan and demons clap their hands. What Jesus is saying is that you can overcome only with good. Leave everything to me. The vengeance is mine. One thing we could very confidently say is that at the end of the judgment day, no one will complain for injustice any any longer. God will bring everything, even behind the scenes, even secrets, secrets of the heart. God will bring. So we could rest. He will take the vengeance. He will bring the justice. Do we do that? I think in some sense, 
Um, I, it brings me some memories about my mom, well-meaning mom, you know, my dad, who's a medical doctor who retired and brought this money when we immigrate to suburb of Dallas to provide the best context for our education. It's a boonie area, no, no relatives, and, and God used that. But uh, amidst of it all, my mom lost $45,000 to this con man. The district attorney called me and said, your mom's case is 27th case. He's a pro, basically. And I, I shared with my men's group about this. When it comes to forgiveness, that is always comes back to my mind. God, heal me. I willfully let it go. And that what worst of it all is that he wasn't actually in the presence of many, including me, not a evil-looking, vicious guy. He had a form of a most gentle, very intellectual, very educated, and he would have a very good manner. Sick to my stomach, he would point out some manners. What, what is my desire? I want to pay him back. It's too bad my, 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 my well-meaning mom told him already, he's a youth pastor, he wants to go into the ministry, he loves God, and I want to say some harsh words, and use some curse words, literally. Well, I couldn't. Hands were tied. But that spirit in me, that I want to pay back this evil with evil, we need to surrender to God. And the second of all, the reason number two is, as the passage clearly mentions, to have lost it with one another is already defeat for us, even if we win the case. Which means, we lose our testimony. So coming back to our central focus about our desire to take care of dispute with another believer by taking him or her to court. May the Holy Spirit speak to you now, even if you don't have any cases like that, that you may learn the way of the cross, the Calvary road, when the time comes. Rather than choosing the way is most efficient most emotionally, temporally satisfying to pay back with evil. One of my um, favorite insight writer, spiritual insights, is Watchman Me. He's a Chinese man in the early generation, 19. Uh, 30s and 40s. Uh, he died in prison. But Watchman Nee's spiritual insight. And for example, I would recommend the book of Ephesians. He summarized it with three words. Sit, walk, and stand. That's the summary of Ephesians. And the thin book, I would recommend that. I, I know, Brian, you read it, right? And normal Christian life about the book of Romans 
Spiritual Law Unleashed. There are several books that he wrote. But um, lately I've been re- looking through his, his writings and because his uh, English was quite good, a lot of things he wrote in English and translated in English as well. But the early uh, years of his life, he was merely a teenager, 16 or 17, he came to know Christ. And then uh, the Western missionary by the name of Barbara, uh, she came and she became a literally spiritual mentor to him. And then she, the context is this, uh, before I share this quote, uh, Wachmani was working with this elder man, five, six years older than him. Because he was so young, he basically disregarded his opinions. He's sharp. He's very intellectual and keen insight. He was ignored. He couldn't propose anything because he basically jealously disregarded him, mistreated him. He was so mad. And he would go to this missionary Sister Barbara, she, she, he called it her, her, and complained and logically explained why he's right. And he learned a really good lesson from her, gentle uh, urge and even rebuke. And I pick up that story from there. Wachmani writes, In one controversy, I had a very good arguments. I felt that when I pointed them out, Sister Barber will, would see how my co-worker was wrong and would support me. But she said, whether that co-worker is wrong or not is another matter. While you're accusing your brother before me, are you like one who is bearing the cross? Are you like a lamb? When she questioned me in this way, I felt very ashamed and I could never forget it. My speech and my attitude that day revealed that I was indeed not like one bearing the cross, nor like a lamb. It is only the spirit of lamb that God takes delight in, the gentleness, the humility, and the peace. Your ambition, lofty purpose, and abilities, ability are all useless in the sight of God. I have, been, I have been down in this path and must often confess my shortcomings. All that pertains to me is in the hand of God. It is not a question of right or wrong. It is a question of whether or not one is like the bearer of the cross. In the church, right and wrong have no place. All that counts is bearing the cross and accepting its breaking. This produces the overflowing of God's life and accomplishes His will. I'm very moved by that because I know the further story. That conflict with the elder brother, uh, the brother who is older than him and jealous of him, five years old, six years old, that relationship and that teamwork went one and a half year. He couldn't accomplish anything. 
but God was working on him. And later on, he confesses, without that one and a half year of God's breaking me and molding me, I would never be able to work with, used by God in this way. Because I would be blinded by my sharp edges, he said. We're not talking about spiritual giants only. This is a normal way of life. Christ is our master. We are to follow the way of Jesus. And it starts with our marital conflict, right? If we go after right and wrong, you're in deep, deep trouble. Many husbands win the battle of right and wrong argument, but lose the war with her and suffer whole month. <laughs> and even church conflicts, and even small and big, and with the other organizations, we are to give heed to this. This is true spirituality. Third and last, he goes to the wrong door finally. The sued believer, the summary for that would be warned sternly against the self delusion of cheap grace, bear the fruit of true repentance. Verse 8 But you yourselves wrong and defraud. Even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. I wish he could stop there, right? But he he has no revilers. People who talk behind badly about someone. Nor swindlers. We've done that. Will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. His point is this. It's not because if you have ever done this, you are hopeless, you're through. He takes the culture and the lifestyle and then just freedom speech. In Christ, if they got the gospel right, you cannot earn your salvation by keeping the law. And then they went to the extreme and made a cheap grace. We're going to actually hear more about sexual immorality next week the passage that he will deal with. The culture in Corinth was if Christ saved us by grace and grace alone, oh, what good is it that we're trying to trying so hard and so narrow-minded and doing things? Maybe we could just live a little, enjoy Christian freedom. That was the spirit. The people who have used to go to temple, Aphrodite, remember that? The part of worship was having sexual relationship, relation, relation with the prostitute, temple prostitute, would still go. Stop that. 
people who used to lie and defraud it. Oh, I am still saved, am I not? And this is a warning that he, he gives. That's a self-delusion, self-deception of cheap grace. If you continually stay there, that will prove that your repentance is false. It's fake. You need to bear the fruit of true repentance. Let's not go to the other pendulum, extreme of, uh, on, on that. That we begin to try so hard to live everything according to God's will. And then make that as a merit. That one day we will be obedient. God is so pleased and he loves me. And one day I am lazy spiritually. I haven't spent time with God. Or yelled at my mom. Yelled at my kids. And I'm clueless. I'm hopeless. It's not that. We are to continually bear the fruit of our repentance, meaning that we are to take our self-examination clearly every day. And when we wrong our brothers and sisters, first and foremost, Holy Spirit nudges us. We are to seek reconciliation by asking for forgiveness, not rationalizing, asking for excuses. Paul comes down very harshly on that. If you continue to behave that way, do not think that you are saved automatically. So here is a harsh, in some sense, very difficult word to swallow. But don't you see with the Spirit of God that we, each one of us, belong to Christ, can see the wisdom of God in this. We are to restore the high esteem of God's church, God's people. Of course, in the application, I could think about so many difficult problems. But in general, we need to follow this biblical wisdom of not pursuing lawsuits with brothers and sisters. Continually overcoming evil with good. Continually bearing the fruit of repentance. When we do that, there is always true joy. By dying to self, we begin to experience the true life in Christ. And the true life in Christ is filled with love. Peace and joy and gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. May God bless us as we individually follow Christ and as a church that we begin to esteem the people of God together that be ready to intervene And those incidents will come up in the future. I'm sure it will come up. But for now, let's practice these principles in our conflicts. Shall we? We have already experienced that. Many conflicts. God has given us victories. Hallelujah for that. 
And when we continue to pursue that, we will experience joy. The first sign of real transformation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, today's word. And thank you that uh, you revealed some of the hidden uh, agendas and motives in our hearts and the learned practices that uh, the world in which you live continually feed us and, and tell us and influence us. We pray this morning that you will open our eyes to your wisdom, to your higher ways of seeking a true contentment and satisfaction and joy. Teach us to turn away from our angry, vengeful ways and greedy ways of self-visualization. I pray for spirit of lamb like a dove falling on upon each one of us that you will teach us to walk on the road to Calvary together. That we would choose the way of the cross as our way and that would make all the difference in our lives. Not as not only as individual Christians, but as the church that belongs to God. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.